Hello guys and gals. We're on part five in our eight-part series on Centering Prayer. Today we're going to discuss the whole issue of seeking validation from others, especially those in our tribe, and we'll briefly touch on humility and why it's so important. But first, as is custom, let us begin with a short prayer. God, help me to remember myself, and in doing so, remember you. Blessed be. Richard Foster wrote, One reason why we can hardly bear to remain silent is that it makes us feel so helpless. We are so accustomed to relying upon words to manage and control others. If we're silent, who will take control? God will take control, but we will never let him take control until we trust him. Silence is intimately related to trust. The tongue is our most powerful weapon of manipulation. A frantic stream of words flows from us because we are in a constant process of adjusting our public image. We fear so deeply what we think others see in us, that we talk in order to straighten out their understanding. Silence is one of the deepest disciplines of the spirit, simply because it puts the stopper on all self-justification. So this for me speaks directly to the issue, my need for self-justification, my obsession with how others see me, my fear of being mislabeled, when a tribe shares a common narrative and a common language, as all tribes do, sharing experiences with one another is easy, and these experiences receive validation. But once you start having experiences that reveal to you a different narrative, and thus require new language, sharing these experiences with your tribe becomes a bit challenging. And for many of us, this this attempt to share our new experiences or our new beliefs or our new questions with others has resulted in painful dialogue where the very notion that we're even having a new experience is dismissed, if not outright rejected. It's not because the folks in our tribe are trying to be mean. They don't have your experience. They only have theirs. And they don't know what you know. They only know what they know. In my experience, and I know this will sound like an overgeneralization, when you tell a born-again Christian that you sat in a mosque and felt God's presence melt your heart into a warm, gooey puddle of love, that born-again Christian doesn't know what the fuck to do with you. Running through their mind is a series of questions, and they don't know which question to ask first. Are you a Muslim now? Were you evangelizing? Don't you think the one true God is insulted that you would look for him outside of Jesus Christ? Are you sure it wasn't just the devil making you think that what you felt was love? I mean, who are you and what did you do with whoever? Because you're describing an experience that doesn't fit their model. When we exhaust ourselves trying to make our tribe understand us and understand our very meaningful, perhaps life-changing experience, it frustrates them, 
it frustrates you, and it frustrates the relationship. That need for validation from others. We can take that into our centering prayer and offer it to God. Or offer to the Hindu goddess Kali. She'll eat that shit. She's scary, but she only eats the parts of you that don't reflect Brahman. So we can take comfort in that. We bring our need for validation to God and say, God, I surrender my need to control what others think of me. Help me to remember who I am underneath my opinions and attitudes, which frankly are in flux as the years go by. And then we rest in silence and consent to God's will in that area. Sit and wait for Kali to come. I remember sitting in a service several years ago and just being so mad. I was mad during the worship because I didn't like the lyrics. I was mad during the sermon because I felt like the pastor was a clown and wasn't offering anything of substance to the congregation. And then I heard God say, in my imagination, everyone else here is doing fine and getting something out of this service. They're happy and content. You are the only one here who is suffering. And this was true. Everyone else there was having a good time and were learning something from the sermon that they could apply to their life. I, on the other hand, was miserable because I was protecting my heart. And even though I was ready to have an unorthodox perspective on God, Jesus, the Bible, church, spirituality, I wasn't yet ready to do that and keep my heart open to these church people and their beliefs because you know, it doesn't take many conversations with old friends or your parents or siblings or whoever before you realize that the people in your tribe suddenly have a problem with you <laughs> because you no longer believe what they believe or you don't believe it in the same way. And then suddenly that's problematic. So what happens is you've got your guard up and it's hard to just sit there without feeling like, you know, well, I'll just judge everything they do. <laughs> you know, they're judging me Well, I'll judge them harder and better and I'll find more fault with them than whatever their difficulty is with, with me and my new perspective. So you don't really, you don't really get to be ready to have your heart open until you've done a lot of work letting go. And trusting that your path and your journey and your your standing with God is yours. And they really, really don't get a say because they don't know you and they don't know your relationship. But once you've done that letting go, you can go back and sing the songs and repeat the prayers and listen to the sermon and it's all just fine. Because as far as I'm concerned, it's all true. Right? And if it's not true, then that's its problem, not mine. I can say Jesus died for my sins and be okay with whatever that means on a 
psychological, mythological plane. I mean, I, I sing songs about Santa every year, and I don't get upset about whether or not the lyrics fit my theological paradigm. Okay, so, yeah, it can feel lonely being in a community where it seems like no one understands where you're coming from, or even understands what you've had to go through to get where you are, or to become who you are. And that can feel lonely, and it would make sense to judge this loneliness as a problem, needing to be remedied. However, the reality is that aloneness is one quality of the path of the mystic, of, of, the, of the spiritual seeker, of, of the person really putting the pursuit of truth as the priority over the pursuit of being right. So loneliness is a quality. It's not the only quality. There's also the quality of togetherness. And you'll encounter that uh, when you meet other similar minds that have had similar uh, experiences. It's pretty neat. So, you know, every sage, guru, saint, mystic, and thinker out there shares a degree of loneliness. And these folks actually learn to befriend the loneliness and not be so frightened by it. Plotinus wrote, Life is a flight of the alone to the alone. That safety we look for in the support and validation of the crowd, that's the sort of thing we bring to centering prayer and offer it to God. Centering prayer reveals parts of yourself that you tend to ignore. If I manage to keep myself still, for more than 20 minutes, it won't be much longer before I'm fantasizing about starting a meditation group, which inevitably ends up, in my fantasy, becoming a sex cult. That's what happens. I get a, a little success meditating, then suddenly I see myself as this great spiritual being who can't help it if all the women in the, in the group want to experience my so-called unconditional love. In silent prayer, all my pain and insecurity and desire for validation, they all rush to the surface of my awareness where I can then have the opportunity to notice it and offer it to God, right? Like a kid showing you his toys. Hey, God, look at this one. <laughs> and you stop being embarrassed after it's happened a few times. You just sort of laugh at how ridiculous you are and you go, go back to the sacred word. Humility is our greatest gift. If you don't have humility, you will avoid looking at your shadow side, your neuroses. If you don't have humility, you will spend your life separated from the darkness in your heart where God is waiting for you. If you don't have humility, you will naturally attach yourself to performance principles where you imagine that if you just believe the right things and say the right words in the right order and win your arguments and hide your evil from others successfully, you will finally be crowned the royal diadem and be swept up by the spirit to the heavenly choir above where you'll sing with the angels for a thousand years and you'll be very righteous, but you won't be free because this whole drama of righteousness is in fact escapism 
escapism from the pain of knowing that you're actually quite flawed. And when the game is to be as righteous as possible, your hope then lies in God correcting the flaws instead of you learning to love them as God loves them. So let's take three minutes, give or take, to allow everything that was just said to dissolve and disappear completely from our waking thoughts. Now, we're only doing one thing. Resting in loving awareness of the one who loves your faults and your enemy's faults.
Thanks, everyone.